This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. According to a new NBC News poll, 70% of Americans do not think President Biden should run again. That includes 51% of Democrats. Now, the same poll found 60% of Americans do not think Donald Trump should run for president either. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Unplugged. Welcome to episode 67 of The Middle Unplugged, a break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right and try to carve out some time for a less shrill and less extreme and generally less angry conversation. So if you want to detect kind of what the meta of my show has been up to now, the radio show and this show, is to kind of take stuff people say, take a step back and try to use my experience and common sense to explain why maybe it's not exactly the way you think and try to offer an alternative view. That's the general sensibility. And there are times where that's relatively easy for me to do. But recently I have been approached with something that I call the, what do you call it, the backup quarterback syndrome. That people every four years or maybe every election, there's speculation, who's going to be in? Who's going to run? Then it's who's going to drop out? And then the final stage of that is these can't actually be our candidates. There's going to be someone that's going to come in, a third party or something else that's going to mean that the matchup we all think we have is going to be something different. And that, I must confess, has been going on a lot around here on the radio. And I even hear it on the left and I hear it on the right, this whole idea. We've got these two unpopular candidates, one of them on the right who may actually be going to prison, one of them on the left who seems like he's falling down a lot. Why don't we just replace one of them and not just replace them, but speculate on who that replacement might be? So I hear it all the time. It's actually not Biden who's going to run. It's going to be Michelle Obama or Trump's going to go to prison, so we need someone else to step in. And I've heard this enough times that my instinct to say, that doesn't really happen, and here's why, kicks in. But I realized with this, I didn't really exactly know why it couldn't happen, why it hasn't happened, or what would happen if it lightning struck, and it did happen this time. So I figured that the best thing to do in this case was to bring in a true expert in the conversation, someone who really understood these issues better than anyone else. So I wasn't just dismissing them out of hand. I was dismissing them, hopefully, with some knowledge. So here's the interview, and I'll explain with whom. So welcome back to the Middle Unplugged podcast. It's my honor to introduce a friend, Jerry Goldfeder. Welcome. Good to see you again. Let me tell the audience a little bit about why you're here. Uh, you are perhaps the nation's foremost expert on election law, and I'll ask you in a moment what that means. You're at Cozen O'Connor. You've been doing this for about 40 years. You also run the Fordham Law School Voting Rights and Democracy Program, and I'm grateful to have you to explain some of these issues uh, that it seems like election law is very much in the news nowadays, but what is it? What is election law? how people run for office. Just because you wake up one day and you want to run for president doesn't mean you can get on the ballot and run. It doesn't mean you can get delegates to a convention and get nominated. It doesn't mean anybody will know about you unless you raise a lot of money in order to get your message out so people know when they go into the polls 
that uh, you're their guy or their woman. And that's true of every office, whether it's president or city council person. I think I think America has been introduced to a concept that I think a lot of people weren't really aware of, or at least needed to be reminded since maybe 2000. Election law is largely the purview of the states, right? There are some broad outlines in the Constitution about who qualifies for major offices. But by and large, this is a 50-state project of deciding how elections get run. Is that right? That's right. And whether that's a good thing or not a good thing, we we are burdened by that because of the decision they made at the uh, founding convention in uh, 1787. It was a push and pull between the various states as to who had the power. Should the states have the power? Should a national government create it? Should it have the power? So they embedded it in the Constitution, Article 1, Section 4, that the states shall regulate the federal elections. After all, the Constitution is only about federal elections. Obviously, states run their own elections. So it was determined back then, and we still live with that. Now, Congress can override that. They can pass the Voting Rights Act and all sorts of other uh, procedures for uniformity. But for the most part, all of our elections, whether they're for the national legislature or for the president of the United States or for a local office, are run by the various states. And in the states, the counties run their own elections. Um, so it's really we have thousands and thousands of counties in the United States running their own elections. Um, it's a little bizarre. It seems like it's not uh, 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 reasonable for the 21st century or even the 20th century, but we're stuck with it. And that's why when there are controversies around different rules or when Donald Trump wanted to, according to the allegations, overturn the elections in an individual state, they had to go into state court to do it and look at state laws that govern different things. So if someone says, oh, I don't like write-in um, uh, mail-in ballots, if you want to change that, it would be a function of going to the 50 states and looking at the 50 different rules that they have about these things. Right. And that's what he did. You could go into state court or you can go into federal court because it was a federal election, a presidential election. So there were constitutional issues involved. But basically, you are looking at the state law. So when when the Biden forces and the Trump forces uh, were at odds in 2020, they had to look at the state law of Pennsylvania, the state law of Wisconsin, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, that's just the way we do it here. You know, the good thing about it is that it's very difficult to steal an election. There's not one centralized body making all the decisions. We have 50 states and all those counties in the states. So if you're going to try to steal an election, you really have to pick off people in the various states, in the various counties, in the various states. So in a way, it really protects us. It's a little crazy that the most powerful country in the world is runs its national elections in this way, but it does protect us. Right. But that brings us to the topic I wanted to have you on about. You know, there is a lot of conversation about the idea that we have two candidates who are manifestly unpopular. They're both very old and showing signs of their age. And maybe this goes on in all sectors, but it certainly goes on on conservative radio. This idea of, oh, Joe Biden won't make it to the starting line. They're going to put in Oprah. They're going to put in Michelle Obama. They're going to put in 
And I try to stress to my listeners that there's no they here, that there is a procedure. But as I started to hear this more and more and trying to dissuade people that that'll happen, and I believe it's going to be Biden and Trump at the starting line, at the finish line, et cetera, I was interested in the idea that I didn't really know myself how it would be that someone would be replaced. So maybe the best way to organize our conversation here is now that the the parties are having their primaries that are going on, one obvious way is someone to defeat the two guys in the primary. Nikki Haley's trying to do that, and this congressman from Minnesota or Michigan is trying to do that. But let's assume for a moment there is a moment that arrives that before all the ballots are counted in the primaries, that suddenly Joe Biden says, you know what? I changed my mind. I don't want to go through with it. What would happen in that case? Well, listen, these candidates can change their mind. That's not going to happen. But something can happen to them. People get sick. And God forbid one of them dies. Um, That really throws everything into uh, chaos. Well, maybe yes, maybe no. The, The two national parties nominate their candidates, Biden and Trump, at the national conventions. So that happens in the middle of the summer. So until then, what we're doing is we have these primaries, we have these caucuses, and what are we doing? We're really selecting delegates to go to these national conventions. And it's the national convention that's going to nominate those those two men. Now, if it turns out that one of them decides not to run, or if, God forbid, something happens to them, then the convention can nominate somebody else. So from now through July, when the Republicans meet, and from now through August, when the Democrats meet, if something happens, if something changes, fine. The convention can nominate whoever they want. Now, when we go to the polls in our primaries um, and we select delegates pledged to uh, Biden or pledged to Trump, They're pledged. Some states bind these folks, so they have to vote for them. Most of them, most of these primaries ask the delegates to be pledged to Biden, to be pledged to Trump. So they could change their minds. And if, God forbid, one of them is dead, obviously, even if the law of a state says you're bound, you're not going to have to vote for somebody who's dead or somebody who had a stroke or whatnot. So it's the conventions that will nominate those two men. And pursuant to the law in every state, whoever the national convention chooses in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, those people are automatically on the ballot. Well, then you have third party candidates like Cornell West and no labels, whoever they come up with, and Robert Kennedy Jr., they have to petition or Uh, They have to petition in various states to get on the November ballot for president of the United States. But the Democrats and Republicans, they have a convention and those candidates uh, will be on the ballot in November. And so it's an important reminder that by and large, we're not we're not choosing candidates during the primary system. We're choosing delegates during the we're basically we vote for we vote for our candidate. And then the candidate has a slate of delegates. Right. And if the candidate wins 100% of the vote, they get 100% of the delegates. But if they split it, let's say Trump gets 60% and Haley gets 40%, then it's- it's So if the the candidates, and I I surmise that 
it's a little easier in the Republican Party. One of the parties, it's a little bit easier. But if you wanted to do this big switcheroo, the convention is a place that both of them have rule books on how you might do that, right? That's right. Got it. And so if you wanted to do Michelle Obama, even though she hasn't been on a single primary ballot, you're, it's possible to do it. Now, you described a scenario of one of them being incapacitated, which uh, God forbid that happens. But what if Joe Biden says, I've got these 2000 votes, whatever it is. I don't know how many delegates there are at the convention. I want to try to not only drop out, but I want to pledge my delegates somewhere else. Is there is are they transferable in that way? Well, they're transferable in that they are supportive of him and they will generally do what he asks them to do. But do they have to? No. Got it. Okay, so that's the relatively easy part. That comes about the middle of the summer. The middle of the summer comes and goes. You've got two conventions. Donald Trump emerges the Republican convention. Joe Biden emerges from the Democratic convention. The election gets underway. And again, maybe willingly, maybe, God forbid, an, an, an ailment, maybe someone gets sent to prison. The parties have to would decide that their candidate is not going to make it to the starting line or to the finish line in this case. Then what happens if you wanted to replace one of them? Well, um, it depends on when it happens. If it happens relatively soon after the convention, there are rules in both parties so that the leadership of the party can choose another candidate. The executive committee of the Democratic Party, the executive committee, Republican Party can can uh, make that switch. We had that happen in our lifetimes, uh, which in 19, um, now I have to remember, 1972, the vice presidential candidate of the Democratic Party. Eagleton. Uh, Eagleton, Tom Eagleton from, I think, Missouri. Missouri. Um, was running with George McGovern. And it came out that Tom Eagleton had uh, shock therapy. And so this was like a big thing in 1972. They said, oh, we got to get rid of him. George McGovern, the presidential candidate, said, I'm a thousand percent behind my vice presidential candidate. After all, he picked him. Uh, a week later, he was gone. And the, the leadership put in uh, Sergeant Schreiber. So, I mean, it, it happens very rarely, obviously. I don't think it's happened since then. Um, but it could happen. And has it ever happened with, it certainly hasn't happened with the presidential candidate. Has no, it? it hasn't. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is that even though I have, I was not aware. So there is a smoke filled room that this could go into of the Republican. Well, it's National a very big room. We're talking about the leadership of the party. So we're talking about, uh, uh, have dozens and dozens of people who will make that decision. Now, some people have more influence than other people, obviously. But it's not one of these smoke-filled rooms that we used to have where three people get together and say, listen, we really need to pick so-and-so because they can win. And maybe maybe that's not maybe that wasn't such a bad idea, uh, although it seems anti-democratic, small d, um, except that when you have a situation uh, where a uh, a person is winning a primary, take take Trump in 2016. If there were a smoke-filled room of the Republican Party elders, if you will, in 2016, they might have said to themselves, I don't care that he's winning these primaries. We're going to put in Jeb Bush because he can win and uh, and Trump would be a disaster. Well, of course, that didn't happen. And obviously, Trump did win anyway. 
And whether it was a disaster or not, I'll leave to your uh, viewers and listeners. But the, it, it, I think it's an important thing for, for folks to realize that when you are the in party, Joe Biden, the people who serve on the DNC are the most ardent loyalist to you. Basically, the president is in charge of the party at that point. And probably Donald Trump is in the same position. So the idea of there being a coup from within is highly unlikely. So long as they want to run, these people are going to defend their interests first and foremost, right? Absolutely. Because after all, just as you said, the people who control the party are the insiders. That's how they become leaders of the party. Uh, they are, in this case, the supporters of Biden and supporters of uh, Trump. And that, and though, and that can be evidenced by the way that New Hampshire was didn't have a full blown primary because uh, Donald because Joe Biden didn't want it. Nevada has kind of a rigged system because Donald Trump wanted it. If you're these two guys, you control a lot of the levers to keep that from happening. So That's let's right. now go a little bit further down chronologically. Let's assume you're at this point. I don't know. Let's call it October. Let's say that ballots have been printed. Let's say that we're well down the path here and pick a scenario. A court rules that Donald Trump is guilty of, of a crime or something like that. And there's an effort or Joe Biden slips and falls and he really does seem like he can't get up. Is there even a way at that point to have this thing have someone substituted in for those two candidates, or does it move forward and dead man walking or not, they're on the ballot? Well, speaking of dead man walking, I mean, we had a situation in the 1800s where uh, a candidate uh, died after election day, and he still got um, electoral college votes. So let's let's look at this uh, uh, in in a sequence. So as you say, the ballots are printed. People start early voting, starting, and they start mailing in their ballots. And we get to election day, which is now more than a day. It's like weeks. Um, and people have been voting. People have been voting for Biden. People have been voting for Trump, except that they've not really been voting for those candidates. Because as most Americans now know, they're voting for electors pledged to Biden, electors pledged to Trump. Now, these electors are not on the ballot. All you see is the words electors pledged to Biden or electors pledged to Trump. So let's take New York, for example, and let's say, let's assume, I think correctly, Biden wins the plurality of the vote in New York. Because of the law in New York and almost every state, if he wins a plurality, he gets all the electoral college votes. So what does that mean? That means that in the middle of December, when electors pledged to Biden have been elected in New York and in every other state where the electors are, whoever they are for, they meet. They meet on the Tuesday after the second Monday in December. But of who course. came up with that date? But of course. Well, the Congress <laughs> of the United States came up with that date. So in the middle of December, the electors from all the states meet in their respective capitals and they vote for president and they vote for vice president. So if something happens 
right before election day when the voting has already started or even after election day, the electors haven't met yet. The electors meet in December and it's, it's at that time that they choose the president and vice president of the United States. So if something, God forbid, happens to the person who has won, the electors can vote for somebody else. Well, what if you have a scenario, that's fascinating. What if you have a scenario, a candidate is incapacitated, let's say for the purpose of this conversation, it's Joe Biden. 50 states meet. What if the 50 states go 50 different directions on who should take, who should get the electoral college votes? None of them agree. So Donald Trump winds up having more than any one candidate that emerges. Does that mean he becomes president? Or he won't, he won't get to the necessary number at that point, will he? So what you need is a majority of the Electoral College votes. Right. So there's 538 yeah. Electoral College votes. So you need a 270. That's the number we, we a candidate needs. So when the Electoral College meets in the various states, in the state capitals in the middle of December, and nobody gets 270 because of any number of reasons then the Constitution of the United States has a plan B. Nobody gets 270 votes, and therefore the House of Representatives picks the president of the United States. Each state having one vote. California has one vote. Wyoming has one vote. Right. And that's happened, but the last time it happened was in 1824. Got it. But we don't need to go too far down that path. But by the way, it's an important note here that we should parenthetically say, this meeting of the Electoral College happens in December. All of the kerfuffle that Donald Trump and his co- alleged co-conspirators were doing were well after this per- this moment. So when he says, well, I had a right to weigh in on the Electoral College and who should be seated in United, already the state of Georgia, for example, had already decided that they were uh, Joe Biden electors were being sent. So what he was asking for Donna, for for Pence to do was to basically tear that list up and put in his own. I just want to make sure. Well, that actually, actually, it's worse. What he tried to do and what they did do is they had his people meet as electors when the electors met in the middle right. of December. Let's say Biden won uh, a state. He had the Republican electors also meet. They were like pretend electors. Right. They were fake electors. And so he did try to have meetings of fake electors casting their ballots. And some of those uh, totals, some of those results were sent to Washington. So Washington meets on January 6th and it counts the electoral college votes. So the example we used before was New York. So Biden wins New York. He wins all the electoral college votes. And in the middle of December, those votes are counted. And then they send the envelope with the votes to Washington, D.C. And just like in the Academy Awards, the envelopes are opened on January 6th. Well, New York went for Biden and Wisconsin went for Biden and Pennsylvania. Wait a minute. I have two envelopes here. I have real electors and fake electors. Well, which ones are real and which ones are fake? And so what Trump tried to do was to get Pence to discount. Biden electors. Right. And he obviously 
fail to do it, but that doesn't mean he's not going to try to do it no, again. I, I, I think that's right. So that's so that's interesting. So there are different opportunities for different groups of people to substitute for the for Biden or Trump. That does exist. But let's now fast forward a little bit more to um, the possibility that these two old candidates, one of them is become going to become an old president. And I have a theory, and this is a professional tip for you, Jerry, that just as it became very in vogue to be an expert on the 14th Amendment, Section 3, the next thing is, what about the 25th Amendment, a president who is incapacitated while in office? I tried reading the 25th Amendment. It is a Rubik's Cube of a Rude Goldberg of a situation. If you can briefly help our listeners understand what happens if a president is basically addled while he's in office, and Republicans might say that that's of Joe Biden now, people might say that's Donald Trump now, give us a, a briefing on what exactly it looks like if someone wants to remove a president, for now, against their will. So it's actually pretty simple. Think of West Wing. It happened on West Wing. Um, and people weren't thinking about it in a serious way at the time, but it's, it's worth it to look at that particular episode. So the Constitution, on the 25th Amendment of the Constitution says, if the vice president and a majority of the cabinet, and after all, the president appointed the cabinet, so they're his people, and the president chose the vice president. So the vice president and his person. If the vice president and majority of the cabinet believe that the president is not fit temporarily for office, is incapacitated, they can vote to remove him temporarily and have the vice president be the acting president for the time being. Now, the president who has just been temporarily removed, can fight that. And ultimately, the way the, the amendment is written, Congress can have the last word in that respect. But so the president can fight back and say, I'm totally able to do my job. It hasn't happened. It could happen. And we've had a situation where uh, the vice president has been acting president, when the president goes under uh, um, for surgery and is incapacitated for a very short period of time, and then they resume office. But if they're really incapacitated, they can be removed because the Constitution now says so, the 25th Amendment. So there's a fail safe there uh, in terms of someone with the authority to run the country. And and the reason we have the president, uh, excuse me, the vice president and a majority of the cabinet is it's the president's people who make that determination. They're not going to do it out of disloyalty. They're not going to uh, instigate some kind of a coup. They're his people. And they'd only do it. It's never been done. So they would only do it if it were really a serious matter and needed some kind of a, a short-term fix. So all of these, this has been very, very informative. So all of these happen. Um, there's obviously easier paths, obviously, if someone gets incapacitated. 
But if people believe that it's a relatively easy process for someone to be substituted for who is not incapacitated, it's not. So the only thing that kind of would be in the category of could happen is if one of the two candidates says, I have decided I'm going to step aside and cooperate with being replaced, meaning telling the DNC or the RNC loyalist to me, I want to be replaced, that type of a thing. But in terms of an internal coup of some sort within the two parties, doesn't seem very likely. Not, not at all. That's exactly right. So people don't have to worry about that. People, people can feel confident. They go to the polls, they vote. And if the votes are counted properly, people can feel pretty confident that the result will be what the result should be. And that's important. Well, Jerry Goffin, I do appreciate you answering these questions for us. You've given us the the roadmap, and it's a difficult one, and that's probably the way it's supposed to be. Um, you know, we we these are probably going to be our two candidates. We say we don't like it, but it is, as I said in the well, only you say we don't like it. Some of us like it. Really, okay. I support. I support my president. All right. Yeah, I support him too. I'm. Doing the best I can. Doing the best I can. We're all doing the best we can. <laughs> Jerry Goldfair at Cozen. How do people reach you if they want to ask you questions or invite you on their podcast? Well, you can you can reach me on my email, jgoldfeder at cozen.com. And do you have any social media presence? Yeah, on X, Jerry Goldfeder. That's with a J. With a J. And one D. And one day. I appreciate it. Jerry Goldfighter, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Always good to Unplugged see you, Podcast. Anthony. All right, be well. Well, that was interesting, and hopefully you learned a little something, and we'll be right back with Ask Anthony Anything. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. So no sooner had I revealed who Donald Trump was going to pick as his vice president. That was, I think, just last week's episode. That's episode 66, if I have it correct. And I don't want to spoil it for you, but since I'm sure you listen to these podcasts in order and every word of them and commit them to memory, I said it was going to be Christy Nome, the governor of South Dakota, and I still believe that. But no sooner had I recorded that um, idea, recorded that episode, that Christy Nome was out there on TV, stepping in it, and my phone was lighting up with, I must have jinxed her. Listen to what she had to say. Uh, Texas and those 13 original colonies would have never signed the treaty that formed the first constitution of the United States if they didn't think that their right to protect themselves and defend their own people was protected. So that's Christy Nome, and I really could do a whole episode on what was wrong with that. For one thing, Texas was not one of the 13 colonies. For another thing, the Constitution is not a treaty at all. Um, and this was as part of the conversation that she was having about the idea that Texas and Governor Abbott could go ahead and have their own immigration policies on the border and the Supremacy Clause doesn't count. But what I did find interesting about that is, one, I don't think that jeopardizes, despite what some of the commenters have said, that jeopardizes it all 
her chances of being the vice presidential uh, pick for Donald Trump. In fact, saying boneheaded things clearly doesn't disqualify the president either. But what was interesting about that argument that she made, that case that she makes, is this broader idea that there's an increasing strain in the Republican Party that we are not one country. This is a little bit more of the chipping away of the idea that the Constitution is for the entire country or that the 14th Amendment is for the entire country or that launching an insurrection is against the entire country. There is a little something there to this idea when Christy Nome says, well, obviously Texas has this right and how she views the founding of the Constitution as nothing more than a treaty. And by the way, it was years and years later I, uh, that Texas became one of the 50 states. I don't think it was 50 states at the time, but one of the, the states of the union uh, It was Mexico up until that point. But the fact remains that this is a strain of Republican thought. The chipping away, the chipping away of the notion that we are one country, that we are one nation um, under God. And, you know, we shouldn't dismiss this trend. It's, it might sound like gibberish when we hear Christy Nome say it, and it might belie the idea that she is not ready to be vice president or president or anything else with her understanding. But we should be aware that this type of thinking about, um, thinking about politics and thinking about our country is pervasive. This kind of rejection of the idea that we are one nation, one people. And that's something that we should keep an eye on. So do I think this, as I said, disqualifies Christy Noem? Quite the opposite. Her standing up for Governor Abbott and her standing up for Donald Trump and her standing up for the other 13 colonies that signed some treaty or something. I think that makes her just one of a chorus of people who are uh, prostrating themselves to, uh, uh, to Donald Trump trying to get chosen as, as his vice president. And I think, as I said last week, she will be successful. So I want to thank Jerry Goldfeder for participating in our conversation about the 25th Amendment and about replacing candidates. I hope it puts to rest a little bit what, um, what a lot of the speculation has been. I also want to thank Eric and Will and Ricky for helping put together this podcast. And I want to thank you. If you want to reach out to me and suggest ideas, wienerwabc at gmail.com. The best way to get the word out about this podcast is to subscribe and to share it with your friends. And also join me on the weekends for my radio show, The Middle, every Saturday from 2 to 4. You can stream it live wherever you are or listen to it on 77 WABC Radio. And you can always get that as a podcast as well. And this marks the end of The Middle Unplugged. <laughs>